This is Matt Hurt at Obsessive Viewer on Twitter. This is Tiny at Obsessive Tiny on Twitter. And this is ObsessiveViewer.com's The Obsessive Viewer Podcast. And welcome to The Obsessive Viewer. We're a movie and TV podcast that covers a specific topic, be it genre, trope, movie, or show, each episode. You can find more of our work at obsessiveviewer.com. You can follow us on Letterboxd at letterboxd.com slash obsessiveviewer, obsessivetiny, and uh, I am Mike White, um, respectively. Um, you can also like us on Facebook and join the Facebook group at facebook.com slash theobsessiveviewer. And Tiny, how's it going? It's going. I am back. Nice. It's been like a month since I've been on the podcast. It, it and it's your absence has been felt. I have been sick, guys. Yes, I've been to the ER twice in the last four months. The ER is human. Yes, I do remember <laughs> um, that. So, do you remember that? I do. Um, yeah, like, and you showed me a picture. Yeah. Oh. And I had violent food poisoning. Yep. Earlier this week, it's just been crazy, but I feel way better now. Nice. So, That's yeah. great. Yep. You're wearing a pink shirt. So. I am wearing a pink shirt. Yeah. yeah. And for our listeners, I'm wearing a brown shirt. <laughs> um, so <laughs> great, anyway. great visuals. Yes. So descriptive. Um, so we've got a lot of stuff to go through today. Yep. But uh, glad you're back. Glad you're feeling better. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things I want to bring up kind of on the same thing uh we have some patreon reviews that are due (laughs) yes um so like yeah um we owe robert in utah we owe him a review of the devil's backbone and uh mandy which i think because i think the plan is that me and mike might be reviewing spider-man uh on sunday so i think because and i actually went to redbox and got mandy on dvd so i think we might do the mandy review there but we owe robert the devil's backbone and we owe tony heartbeeps so i'm thinking that we you and i should do like a double review episode in the coming weeks of the devil's backbone and heartbeeps okay so yeah but uh speaking of patreon if you want us if you want (laughs) if you want us to drag our feet and owe you (laughs) for several reviews go to patreon.com slash obsessive viewer um you can support us i've actually revamped the promotion or the uh uh the patreon tier so like it doesn't have anything but like you know if you're a patreon you want us to review something just message me and we'll we'll facilitate it uh but speaking of which we do have a new patreon supporter tiny yes we do yeah it's ben i don't should we say his last name no okay uh he works for the CIA, so I don't know. Oh, d- does he really? No. Oh, I, okay. I hope not. I mean, we'll I don't use, think so. Yeah. We'll use a code name. Ben J.C. Penny. <laughs> um, <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> oh, you're ridiculous. <laughs> um, and, and there goes our Patreon subscription. <laughs> uh, no, thank you so much, Ben, for supporting us. Um, he actually made a substantial support, uh, like a substantial uh, donation, uh, to which he is going to be a guest on the podcast uh, sometime next month. Uh, we're going to do an Oscar nominations episode and he's going to be on it. So very much looking forward to meeting him. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that w- it'll be interesting cause that'll be like the first time in the podcast history 
sort of yeah that we have a guest that i've never met like in person or like i yeah. I, I just i never i know him through the facebook group and right um Facebook and everything. The internet brings people together. It does. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. So, once again, go to patreon.com slash obsessive viewer and support us if you want. And thank you, Ben, uh, Ben JC Penny, uh, for supporting us. Yes. <laughs> I'm so sorry, Ben. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then I've got some more housekeeping stuff to go through. Um, do you mind indulging me sure. for a second, Tiny? Okay. So, Letterboxd, there's a subreddit called Letterboxd Official that is apparently sanctioned by Letterboxd, like the people at Letterboxd. Um, it is a really cool community. Like, in a, it's a good extension of the Letterboxd community. And they are doing, um, a weekly film club. Okay. Um, that I'm really excited about. I made a list, um, on Letterboxd. I'm trying to, you know, be, uh, proactive on it and everything. The, uh, if you go to Reddit and go to, um, Letterboxd Official, it's the sticky post at the top. Um, basically, what they will do is every week the, the subreddit votes on a specific, uh, theme. So the first one was, the first week's theme was, uh, Yorgos Lanthimos, the filmmaker. He did Dogtooth. Uh, the killing of a sacred deer, which I talked about in like January on the podcast. Mm -hmm. Also the lobster and he's got the favorite out now. Um, so, uh, the group voted on that, picked dog tooth, basically the subreddit watched dog tooth and discussed it on, on the subreddit. Uh, week two was, um, unconventional Christmas movies or Hmm. Christmas movies that, alternative Christmas movies. Okay. And the winner of that was Eyes Wide Shut. Oh, boy. Um, Yeah, so that's going to be this weekend is when the conversation uh, happens, like like the discussion. Um, But I'm excited because I'm making a list and everything, and I'm checking it twice, and I'm putting the movies in there (laughs) and everything, and I'm putting, like, links, like, putting my reviews and everything. Nice. Very much looking forward to it. That's cool. Yeah. The current one, oh, by the time you listen to this, the voting will be done, but the current one is uh, the theme... For next week is Alfonso Cuaron. Nice. Yeah. And so uh, the subreddit will either be talking about E2 Mama Tambian, uh, Children of Men, or Gravity. Children of Men, hands down. Yeah. Well, I voted for E2 Mama Tambian because that's the only one I haven't seen. Okay, nice. I haven't seen it either. Nice. So, yeah, so that's just a cool, like, extension of that. Um I'm gonna. I'm not gonna talk about the other thing on there because I'll just save that for the year in review episode. Okay. Um, I'm also going back, uh, getting back into my top 100 project. Um, I'm excited about that. Cool. That's about it. Nice. Um. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. The top 100 project. Um. Was very excited. And I. I felt kind of not guilty, but I felt like I should have like messaged you earlier because I went and saw Schindler's List in the theater. Right. Yeah. And I was going to, cause I had said like, Hey, yeah, you know, we should go if you want to. And you said that you might be able to go Saturday. And like, I was so on the fence about if I wanted to go on Saturday that like, it was like half an hour before the showtime where I was like, I need to shit or get off the pot. <laughs> And like, I need to either cancel this ticket and get one for Sunday or I just need to go. And like, I just finally, like I went and like, I was like, I should have messaged tiny, but I didn't get a chance to. And like, by the time no I problem. thought about it, 
you wouldn't have been able to make it there. Yeah. So but with all my medical crap, I was like, I just don't even want to be in public more than right. I have to. Yeah. So and like I felt okay with that and everything. Like like that was my rationale too. And then like the next day, you're posting about oh I saw widows in the theater. Yeah. And I'm like oh man. <laughs> I know I, I did go bad. I did go see widows, but nice. Yeah. Um. But speaking of theater viewings, by the way, Schindler's List in the theater was was it was it was the first time I've seen it in decades. Really? In a decade, probably. Um. And I think the last time I saw it was like on a laptop. Really? Like seeing it on the big screen, being so immersed in it, it's like that is not only is it uh one of the most powerful movies I've ever seen, it's one of the most important movies there is. It there really are. is, yeah. Um just incredible. Yeah, one of the best. Yeah. But speaking of theater viewings, okay. Tiny. Yeah. Um so as our listeners will know. Uh, you and Kirsten are in a a a, a very uh, highly publicized, um, heated, vicious race. Yes. Uh, for I guess the title of Matt Hurt's movie theater companion. Yes. Um, and I checked the stats. Um, as of today, as of this recording on Thursday, December thirteenth, twenty eighteen. <laughs> At 9.33 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, you are at 75 movies seen with me. Yeah. Kirsten is at 74. Ugh. And she and I have plans to see Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse tomorrow. Oh, boy. So... You're gonna need to. You're gonna need to pick it up. Yeah, we're gonna need to see something. Need to hunker down here. Yes. Um. Whew. Yeah. How do you feel right now? I'm uh, a little, a little uh, embarrassed. Okay. A little hurt. Mm-hmm. Not really. Oh yeah. That's... Not hurt. But no. I yeah. I've just hurt. been. <laughs> you are. <laughs> you have no choice but to be hurt. Oh, yeah. Um. But yeah. I I have just my theater viewings have just fallen off so much. Um. Yeah. Excuses, excuses. I know. I but wish yeah. I wish I had a good one. <laughs> I don't. Yeah. But I tweeted that and uh I got a text message from Kirsten and so uh later in the day she said uh Oh, where is it? Okay, she said, Hey, I got cast in Almost Maine, a play. Uh, so you can just plan on not seeing me again until March. Oh boy. That will give Tiny a chance to widen the movie gap. <laughs> um, so yeah, so I'll just say, uh, Kirsten has been cast in a play. Um, so if you are in Indianapolis, um, Mud Creek Players is putting on a production of Almost Maine. Uh, that runs February 15th to March 2nd. Um, you can find that at mudcreekplayers.org. Um, yeah. Oh, wow. There's a lot of showings. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven performances. So yeah, uh, go check that out. Mudcreekplayers.org. Um, I'll be at one of those. I'm not sure which one yet. So yeah. Uh, oh, wow. Hmm. Uh, anyway, so, so, uh, Kirsten and I may not be able to see as many movies. We're going to see Spider-Man, but, I don't know. I don't know what that's going to do to uh, her appearances on the podcast and our TV swap project and everything. Gotcha. Have you been listening to the podcast? Do you are you aware of that? Uh, no, I'm not. Oh, interesting. Uh, oh, yeah, I did tell you about it. But basically, she and I will see a movie, come back here and watch like an episode of 
like I'm showing her one of my favorite shows. She's showing me one of her favorite shows. Okay. So she's introducing me to Flashpoint, a Canadian SWAT drama. Oh boy. And I'm introducing her to Lost. Okay. So um, I was wondering why your Blu-rays were out. Yes. Oh yeah. <laughs> so it is, uh, thank you for listening to the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I know. But what I'm calling it is the TV swap project with the sub, um, uh, the subtitle, um, suggested by, um, Robert in Utah on the oh, Facebook okay. group. Uh, but it's a TV swap project. Lost point. So, <laughs> Lost point. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, so yeah. So anyway, so that's the, uh, Kirsten has put a major wrench in the production of the podcast. So yeah. Yeah. But, uh, but no, I'm very excited to see her perform again. Cool. Yep. So last piece of housekeeping. This is going to be, this is, this is all very like, a lot of stuff because we we haven't really talked that much. I know, like, yeah. So um, I was listening to the podcast because um, I I don't know in preparation for the year in review episode I'm going back and listening to most of the episodes we've had this year. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I noticed in episode two forty five, our Tron Legacy review. Um, you had thought about you'd considered getting a list. Yes. Um, and if, uh, going through the, going through the record, um, you said that you may drop audible to get a list. Yeah. Um, have you given that any more thought? Um, I haven't. Okay. I really need to drop audible though. Cause I have not been listening to books. Oh, same here. Yeah. yeah. I, don't, I don't know. Well, I, I, and this may be putting the carpet for the horse or jumping ahead a little bit, but do you have any goals for 2019? Like, do you think like theater viewings could be something you could? I haven't thought about it much because just my health has been in the toilet. And yeah. so I just haven't been thinking about that stuff. But I talked about doing like a, um, earlier in the year, I don't remember which episode it was, but I talked about oh, like yeah. trying to find like a top 100 list, mm. like, specifically afis yeah top 100 and just trying to like i'm not trying to like set like i want to watch 20 of these this year i want to watch however many just be like i'm going to actively look at this list Mm -hmm. and seek out films from it this year whether it's if it's i just watch five or i watch 10 just start to make my way through one of those lists Mm because there's so many classics out there and like films that are considered to be some of the best of all time that I've never seen. Same here. And I wanted to, and you know, I was somewhat inspired by your project. So yeah, I was like, I I kind of want to do that. Or you're welcome. I don't know. Yeah. (laughs) Um, uh, Speaking of the AFI top 100, uh, I don't know. Are you aware of the podcast unspooled? No, it's uh, Paul Shear and film critic uh, Amy Nicholson it's on the Earwolf network basically they're going through the AFI top 100 okay like from 2007 i think is the when the list was in there and they're basically going they're not going in or, any particular order okay. like they just recently did Schindler's list because it was released in theaters back when 2001 was back in theaters they did 2001 okay um but they're basically going through it and everything so maybe that could be something that inspires you like if like maybe check out the podcast and yeah yeah Okay. Um, cool. Well, anyway, I like, I mean, I've sang the praises of A list and everything. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I feel like if you got A list, it would be kind of cool because we could see movies and stuff together. I know. You know? Yeah. It's just like during the week, I don't know when I'm going to get off work. Y- you know? I, I worked at like eight o'clock last night. Oh. Um, and then like on the weekends, we just, we, my, we plan so much stuff. Yeah. We have so much going on and, 
that that's understandable. Yeah, it's just yeah. affected the theater viewings. Mm-hmm. Well, all right. Yeah, um, I know. Yeah, it's fine. Um, you're gonna be getting this gift card. <laughs> <laughs> I actually don't know if AMC has like a gift subscription. Thing oh yeah, or whatever. Yeah. Mm. Um. Yeah, I don't know. Anyway. Uh yeah, so this episode did I even talk did I even mention what this episode is? I don't think so. Jesus Christ. <laughs> uh we're reviewing Hold the Dark. Yes. Which is the new uh newish cuz I think it came out like a month or two ago. Yeah. Uh Jeremy Saulnier movie. Um it's on Netflix. It's a Netflix original film. Um we'll talk about that in a minute, but I do have some news to go through. And this already off the rails and long-winded podcast. <laughs> um, so I'm going to save the big one for last because it's obviously going to be the biggest point of uh, conversation. But uh, in the last week or so, Kevin Hart was announced as hosting the Oscars. Mm-hmm. And then within 12 hours, stepped down because tweets had surfaced from uh, years ago, from like a decade ago, I think, um, that were homophobic in nature. Yeah. Um, which is my rap name. Um, <laughs> and, uh, uh, and yeah, so he's, he stepped down, like when it came to light, like he said, like he released a statement saying like, I'm not going to apologize. Like that's back in the past. I've, I've grown as a person and everything. Like he was kind of, he was not going to apologize. And then I guess stuff happened and he just withdrew from like, uh, he dropped out of the, like he removed himself from the Oscars. Yeah. And then apologize for the tweets also. Right. Um, so yeah, so what do you make of all this? Um, it's just kind of a weird situation. It's, mm-hmm. it's kind of weird that he didn't just come out right out the bat and apologize for it, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I, I think one of the jokes that he had tweeted was like, if he sees his son doing something gay, he's like, no, stop it. That's gay. Like, oh, yeah. that's one of the offensive things I think. And like, I get that. It is, it is a little bit offensive. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's like, a joke from his standup. Like yeah. I've seen his standup and like, that's, I was like, so I mean, why they had to go to Twitter to find that? Or like, right. it's like, I'm not saying he doesn't still believe that or doesn't sure. think that way. But like, um, I mean, I thought it was, I mean, it's kind of, it's kind of funny, but it's mm-hmm. also, yeah, I can understand why somebody would be offended by it. Um, right. but I, I don't necessarily think he needs to apologize for that. But some of the other stuff, yeah, was pretty pretty blatant and mm-hmm. and homophobic. Um, I don't know. I just don't really care that much. <laughs> um, but it, yeah, I, I don't think it's all that controversial. I mean, yeah, you don't apologize. Yeah. Okay, you're not gonna. We don't really want you associated with the show. Then, and mm-hmm. I mean, I will say that he kind of. I, I I thought he might have like blown up more or been like this is mm-hmm. bull- bullshit or like right. the Oscars did, did just wanted to force me out or something like that. But he totally like came out and was like, no, nah, I mean, I I said some bad stuff and mm-hmm. I apologize for it. And well, his I don't know. Um, it's also worth mentioning that the Oscars are broadcast on ABC, which is owned by Disney, which Disney has you know a track record, right? Um, but they um. The uh, what was I gonna say? Something about the Oscars. Something like oh, when Kevin Hart was announced as Oscar host, like I like I'm indifferent to him as an actor. We've talked about it yeah. and everything, um, but like I felt like his like he posted on Instagram like oh you know 
it's been my dream. Like when he was announced as the host, he was like, this has been my dream for like my entire life. It's the host Oscars. And this means the world to me. And I'll promise, I promise I'll do a great job and all that stuff. It was like very heartfelt yeah, and very sincere. And then like I woke up the next morning. It's like, yep, he's out. Like, <laughs> oh my, what the, what happened? Jeez. Um, and like, we've talked ad nauseum about this whole, the culture we're in, the outrage and, and the, you know, digging up, stuff from people's past online. Right. Um, so we don't really need to touch on it that much, but I do want to mention real quick, just this headline. I didn't even really read into the article that much. Cause I didn't, because you'll know why here in a second, but like the recent, like, I guess this year's like Heisman trophy winner, um, apol- had to apologize because he tweeted, um, he tweeted something homophobic when he was 14 <laughs> wow and i was like like i get if you're like an entertainer and like when you were an adult like within the past like 10 years or so mm-hmm. like you know i get i get the outrage and i get the you know everything but like think about some of the jokes we made when we were 14 oh, yeah. years old right like that's a kid like i I mean, not that he, not that people shouldn't be held accountable for the shit that they say online. Like they, they should, and I, I get that. But it's just like, it just seems weird that it's a that big a thing for like a fourteen year old. Like that's what fourteen yeah. year old kids are. Like kids are assholes. Like right. that's their thing. And they're dumb. And they're dumb. They're <laughs> yeah. dumb assholes. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> like it's just I, I don't, I don't get it. Right. Um, yeah. Um, so yeah, anyway, but the big thing that I want to talk about for news, um, the Avengers trailer came out. Yeah, I did. So have you watched it? How many times have you watched it? I've only watched it the one time. Oh, interesting. Just watched it the once. Yeah. That's very interesting because I've watched it so many times. Really? Um, yeah. Like I just can't, I, first of all, I think it's just a perfectly constructed trailer. It is. It shows nothing. Um, it's. I mean, it's just, it's beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, the title Avengers Endgame, I knew, like, that's the only title it could have been. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I saw, like, a clickbait headline that was, like, um, something about, like, oh, that, uh, here's some more information about the, about the surprising title for Avengers 4. Like, this is, like, after it was released, after the trailer was released. I was like, that's literally the least surprising title yeah. it could have possibly been. <laughs> like the only the only title for this movie that would have been less like surprising or less interesting, I guess. Not to not to downgrade because Avengers Endgame is a fine name. Mm-hmm. But, like the only one that would have been like less surprising would have been Avengers Infinity War Part Two. Right. <laughs> like, exactly. That's the only like it's it's. It's expected. Yeah. But anyway, what do you make of the trailer? Are you excited about it? I just, That's I was just question. more, more like what you said. I was just impressed with the quality of the trailer. Mm. Um, how it's, it, it gave you a lot by showing you so little. Yeah. Um, you know, it just really tapped into the sentiment of the ending of Infinity Wars and mm. stuff like that. Um, just, yeah, really well constructed. And like, you know, we're used to our trailers being so packed and like, you can 
go onto YouTube after a trailer is released mm. and you have 45 minute long reaction videos yes. of people talking about a two minute trailer. Mm-hmm. It's because they pack so much crap in there. Right. And I mean, you could probably still have a 30, 40 minute reaction video to I'm this sure tiny little are. trailer. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure it's out there, but this is like, I don't feel like you need that with this trailer. It was just right. like, I don't know. It was, it was just so, it was just so sentimental. Yes. And like in an intimate trailer and yeah, I enjoyed the shit out of it. Um, yeah. I need to watch it some more. The opening, <laughs> that's such, I need to watch it some more. <laughs> like I do. Two and a half minute trailer. I need to watch it some more. <laughs> um, any excuse I have to load it and watch it, I, I watch it. Wow. Um, like I put together links for our notes for this episode. I put a link to the YouTube trailer just so I had an excuse to look it up and <laughs> copy paste it. Nice. Um, but, just man, that that first sequence, like the opening thing with Tony, like yeah. that, like the music that's playing, and just the sentiment of that is like just beautiful and totally heartbreaking, and it's like this is a fucking comic book movie. <laughs> yeah. Um. But the one thing, one thing I want to single out about it, um, is I love two things about it that are connected. One is that Thanos is nowhere in the trailer. I mm-hmm. I love that. But I love how he's still present because when it goes to the um when it goes to the title, uh like Endgame appears and it's like glowing purple. And I just mm. I just love that. It's like this very subtle, like, okay, Thanos is like there. Yeah. Um it's just I like his presence is felt in his in his like color scheme. Right. Um That's cool. Yeah, so I'm I'm so excited for it. Oh, April twenty yeah. sixth. Oh man, it's really not that far away. It's really not. Yeah. And like before that we've got Captain Marvel, which looks amazing. Looks great, yeah. Um Yeah. Oh, I can't wait. Okay. Yeah. Me so, too. <laughs> um, let's get into our review because we've been talking for like four and a half hours. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so we're reviewing Hold the Dark. I'm kind of nervous about this because I, I watched Hold the Dark a couple weeks ago. Okay. Um, so it's not really fresh in my mind. So, um, but I do have some thoughts about it and I'm, I'm excited to talk to you about it. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So Hold the Dark is a 2015 movie or 2018 movie. Uh, really interesting because the IMDb user rating is uh five point seven out of ten. It is. Yeah. yeah. Um. Anyway, it's uh the plot description is after the death of three children suspected to be killed by wolves, writer writer Russell Core is hired by the parents of a missing six year old boy to track down and locate their son in the Alaskan wilderness. Uh, stars Jeffrey Wright, Alexander Skarsgård, James Badge Dale, uh, Riley Keough, um, and some other people. Uh, directed by Jeremy Saunier. Uh, screenplay by his longtime collaborator, uh, Macon Blair, and uh, based on the book by William Giraldi. Um, Jeremy Saunier is a fresh-faced um, filmmaker, <laughs> Um, he, this is his, I believe, fourth feature film. Uh, his first one was 2007's Murder Party, which I know that you bought on DVD. Haven't watched it. Haven't watched it. Yeah. It is available on Netflix now. Oh, okay. Um, he did Murder Party in 2007, Blue Ruin in 2013, and Green Room in 2015. Um, 
So before we get into our review of Hold the Dark, uh, let's talk a little bit about his films and everything. Um, starting off with the Murder Party, I did start watching it. Mm-hmm. It's kind of rough. It's it's pretty cheesy and yeah. Um, I just I couldn't really um get into it, so I stopped about twenty minutes in. So um, you still haven't seen it? No, I haven't watched nice. it yet, so I need to. What did you think of Blue Ruin and Green Room? Um, I think they both made my top ten lists. Um, they were just powerhouse films. Um, I think each of them would probably be in like my top top movies for the decade. Nice, probably, especially Green Room. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, they're just they're just so powerful movie, such powerful movies. Um, and I think the I hate to call it shock value, but like mm-hmm. the um the the harshness I guess that he's able to just thrust on the screen at any given moment, like the drop of a hat is just really impressive. Um yes. and I like I think that's again a skill that's that's rare and it's mm-hmm. it's a really refined style that Jeremy Saulnier is has uh woven himself into and Every time that he does it in a film, it just blows me away. We'll talk about it in this movie mm-hmm. with uh, Hold the Dark. He's it's just it's something that I've come to expect with his films, and it like it just blows me away what he's able to achieve. And like his movies are also very simple. I feel like it's not mm-hmm. it's not a real for the most part. It's not a real uh, complex plot or right. super crafty dialogue or anything like that. It's very it's very simple and to the point mm-hmm. and at, at the same time his movies just feel really dynamic and i don't i just i don't know how he pulls that off yeah uh, that, I don't know either. that level of creativity escapes me mm-hmm. um but it's it's on full display on on the three feature films of his that i've seen yeah he's he's really special oh yeah blue ruin is a movie that i need to watch again because i haven't i saw it once and i mean i i really liked it but mm-hmm. um I just I need to revisit it. Me too. Uh, Green Room blew me away. Like, yeah, such an incredible, dark, visceral, violent um, movie. That's just it's it's one of those movies that it's the type of movie that gets me very excited for a filmmaker um, because it's such a such a strong statement of his talent that it makes me just so anxious and excited to see what he does next and how how he evolves as a filmmaker mm-hmm. so i mean having said that i was excited for hold the dark um it being a netflix movie i think it had like a limited release in theaters but i don't think it played around here okay but it being a netflix movie it kind of i don't like i i was aware of it or i was aware of like it being in production but like once it was released on netflix it was kind of one of those things where it was like i'll see it when i see it yeah um which is kind of counterintuitive to what we just said, like the praise yeah. we heaped on him as a filmmaker. Right. But maybe that's just the Netflix style of releasing and everything. Um, I, I don't know. But anyway, uh, let's get into Hold the Dark. So what were your overall non-spoiler thoughts on Hold the Dark? Uh, overall, well, I mean, spoiler for the end of the year, it's going to be in my top 10. Oh, nice. Uh, definitely in my top 10. Um, I really liked it. Of course. I think, I think of the three pending a rewatch of blue ruin, I think it's probably in third place, Okay, but barely. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, 
Yeah, it's barely in third place. Um, I just, I, I talked before um, last, I know I've talked about it on the podcast before, like last year with Wind River. Um, I'm very, very fascinated by stories that take place in like extreme nature mm-hmm. or um, isolation, uh, stuff like that. Like, uh, the Thing mm-hmm. um, and Wind River, which I ranked so high uh, right. last year. Um, I just think those stories are inherently fascinating um, just because of the extremes that they go to. And, uh, and this movie definitely taps into that really, really hardcore um, and does so incredibly well. Uh, and so that, that's, that's like the immediate thing that jumped out to me after I had finished the film. Um, and then it's just, it's just, it's more, it's more, uh, it's more Jeremy Saulnier being incredible and, and mm-hmm. do, doing what he does. Um, the, those, those really sheer moments that just grip you, uh, and moments of sh- shock and, and violence and, and just, things that happen that are beyond belief really mm-hmm. it's it just j- j- absolutely jumps on the screen and hits you right in the face and he just it does that so well and and he did that i think i think th- there there's a a scene in this movie a moment kind of the midpoint where uh i think it's one of his best scenes he's ever done yeah uh, as far as like grabbing you that way um so he did that really well and and uh and i i enjoyed the performances i think they were kind of the performances were almost ancillary to the story mm-hmm. in in my opinion um i think you could have put shitty actors in this movie and it still would have been a pretty damn good movie just because <laughs> it wasn't the performances to me weren't necessarily the focus right um but i think everyone involved did a great job uh, I really enjoyed seeing James Badgedale because mm-hmm. I just I'm a big fan of his. Same here. And he had a huge year. Like he was in like five movies. He was in like Iron yeah. Man three and like uh, the oh god, what's the Benghazi movie? I want to say. Oh yeah. He did like five huge movies in one year, and I was like, man, that's awesome. And, and then he just yeah. didn't do anything for like two years. And I was like, what right. the hell? Um, but I, I love him and he, this was a really, I think a pretty meaty role for him and I'll, yeah. I'll get into that. Um, but the story is just incredible. Um, I mean, I, I liked, I liked everything about it. It's, it starts pretty slow, I think. And mm-hmm. I'll say it's, I don't think it's a, I think it's of his three films that I've seen. I think it's the least accessible for a general audience. Yeah. Um, and I'll, I'll go into that further as well. Um, it is kind of a confusing movie that doesn't necessarily give you blatant answers or um, you, you you kind of leave wondering some things and I mm-hmm. a lot of people don't like that so I think that could account for some of the 5.7 rating on IMDb um, yeah but but overall like this was my kind of movie I just I really dug it um, and I was like um, I just super into it I really loved it so yeah. What did, what did you think of it? How are your overall thoughts? Um, overall thoughts, I, you know, <clears throat> it is my number three of the three Sonya movies I've seen. Okay. Um, not that close though. Like it's, okay. I mean, I, it's, it's kind of hard to articulate because the, technically speaking, there's not much wrong with the movie as a whole like there's some things like you touched on not being very accessible to like a broad audience and Mm -hmm. i totally fall in that camp like i was kind of it wasn't that i it wasn't that i was um 
it wasn't that I wasn't catching on to what was going on. That was some of it. Mm-hmm. But I think part of it was like my interest level wasn't like peaked enough to to try to piece together some of the more um I don't want to say outlandish or absurd, but some of the more abstract things okay. in the movie. Um that are kind of left ambiguous. Like that's that was kind of the thing that I was just like I wasn't engaged enough with the movie um at a story level to really piece together what they were putting down. And also I don't think the movie really laid the groundwork for us to really uh uh deliver like a meaty like thought experiment like after the movie like it didn't for my taste mm. it didn't like leave enough for for me to really munch on as far as like the implications of the things that i saw in the movie before um before it ended like I, it didn't leave me enough to really feel like it was interesting enough for me to engage in a mental exercise over it okay um which has me super excited for this review <laughs> <laughs> nice but it's like technically speaking it is a very like technically proficient movie yeah um i i love i said this in my letterbox review but i love the um i love seeing jeremy Saulnier evolve as a filmmaker mm-hmm. um throughout the three movies that i've seen from him and i'm very excited to see where he goes from here and see what he does next and how he continues to hone what he's like his craft. Cause he has a very unique style. He has that kind of, he has an interest, like even though I just kind of shat on the pacing of the movie or, <laughs> or the kind of plot elements of the movie, but like he has this gift when it comes to inner interspersing, just really like, I don't want to say casual violence, but like very, abrupt and and uh um uh vi- like acute acute yeah. and um a pretty and no um, <laughs> uh no he he has his, he's very astute as at just uh having these spurts of um abrupt and vicious violence that feels so genuine or feels so authentic um to how it would how it'd be. I'm thinking like in Green Room when uh Anton Yelchin is like his arm uh is outside of the door and it gets cut and it's like it's not like a big dramatic like moment in the conventional sense. It's like he pulls his arm out and like his you know his, his arm is damn near severed. Right. And like there's I think that he's tapped into a way to tell his stories and to entertain his audiences in a very visceral and and violent way that I, I don't see being replicated by other filmmakers. It's kind of one of his signatures and I really appreciate his willingness and, um, um, talent at depicting that. Okay. Um, so like that kind of thing and like just the showing and, and, Filming it in such harsh conditions or harsh weather or harsh climates, I, I should say, mm-hmm. um, extreme climates is is very interesting because you don't really see that that much. Um, like when river stands out because one of that that's one of the reasons it stands out. Mm-hmm. Um, it like like uh, hold the dark wasn't filmed in a back lot. Um, yeah, <laughs> but 
I think just some of the failings of, of it for me was not even failings. It was just it didn't engage me the way I wanted it to. I was still interested in it. I have some qualms I'll bring up in spoilers, but overall, I thought that it was a a perfectly a perfectly okay movie. It won't make my top ten list, but I feel like it's the movie that has. It's a movie that maybe when I rewatch it, it'll grow on me. Okay, um, but I enjoyed it, and uh, yeah, I enjoy. Again, just to echo your sentiments, I love James Vagedale. Yeah. Um, I'm just glad to see him in really anything. Yep. So, um, nice. yeah. So what did you think of the kind of plot and some of the more specific aspects of it? Um, the, the plot is really, um, interesting because it's, um, again, I think it's very easy to kind of lose sight of what the, what's going on. I mean, mm-hmm. it's, I think, I think there's a lot of, knowledge or kind of um facts like i don't know like that that you would kind of need as an audience member going into it that like Mm -hmm. they don't just come out and tell you like this is rural alaska and like it's it's in a completely different lifestyle than we have in the lower 48 you know Mm -hmm. it's things are way different there and like they don't necessarily spell that out in the movie right and i think a lot of that is just kind of implied or like you need to you should already know that i guess Mm -hmm. going into the film and some people might not know that they may not understand the dynamics of how uh kind of native american tribes view uh or just native uh cultures view Mm -hmm. um law enforcement yeah, that's a that's a big big factor in the film, um, and I feel like those things are they, they maybe could have had a little bit better effort uh, on the part of Macon Blair and Jeremy Saulnier to include those in the film, mm. and I don't think it would have taken away from the movie at all. Right, I think it only would have been a positive addition. Mm. I don't I don't think it would have been talking down to your audience to put yeah. those in the movie, um, but it didn't bother me personally because I. I feel like I knew those things a little bit already and you know uh, I'm not an expert on those things or right. I'm not saying that I'm just saying I've heard that about I've had friends who have been to Alaska or like mm-hmm. I've seen shows about Alaska and stuff like that so I kind of knew that already um but yeah so I I feel like that's that's a shortcoming of the plot mm-hmm. and and it's um, like you said, not necessarily a failing or a failure, but right. just a shortcoming. I think that were I, I think you could have improved that pretty easily. They, yeah, they that could was, have improved that. That kind of culture shock in in the movie yeah. is, is definitely one of the things that kind of failed me in viewing it uh, in no uncertain terms. Mm-hmm. Um, it was also kind of this the movie, can, and I'll dance around this, and we'll talk in more detail in spoilers. But the movie kind of hints at like the culture being like i don't know how to describe it but like there's an element to it that made me feel like it was going to go into like some more kind of ritualistic kind of kind of Mm. avenues and like i feel like the movie didn't pay that off in any way okay um and it kind of just felt like it felt like it was hinting at something or hinting at hinting at expanding on something Mm mm-hmm from like the inciting incident and the kind of culture shock and the, in the, uh, um, the dis- disconnect between law enforcement and like the native people of that area. Mm-hmm. It, and I just feel like it didn't, well, <laughs> the disconnect between the law enforcement and, and, uh, the, the, uh, citizens and everything like that was paid off very well, <laughs> but the culture itself wasn't 
paid off. Uh, yeah, me. I can I can see that yeah. totally. I don't think you're actually. I think you're just objectively correct. Like I think they just they missed the mark on that. Mm-hmm. I agree. I don't think. Uh, yeah, they 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 think they could have expanded that a lot more. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so. You're much you're much easier and nicer to talk to than Kirsten. Really? <laughs> <laughs> uh, but no. Uh, <laughs> Jeez. Hopefully she doesn't listen to this. Uh, she won't. Jk. <laughs> um, Jk. No, she's always giving me shit. But anyway. Okay. Um, yeah. And, and let's talk about, I mean, I guess it's not spoilery to talk about the gunfight. Yeah. Um, it's weird because in a movie that didn't really resonate with me in any big way, um, it had one sequence in it that I think would be like one of the best like shot and best executed sequences I've seen in a movie all year. Yeah. Um, just that whole, that whole scene was just tension ratcheted up to 11. Yes. Like it was so just well done. Mm-hmm. Um, is that the sequence that you were referring to? Oh yeah. Okay. That's yeah. What I, 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 I'm not a person who believes that one scene can make a movie, mm-hmm. but if it could, this would be a great example of it. Yeah. Um, I, I think, I think this, that scene is worth the price of it. Like, I think, <laughs> I think you should see the movie. Right. I think it's worth seeing the movie just for that scene. Mm-hmm. I'll put it that way. But I'm not it's, saying that makes the whole movie. It's worth a net Netflix subscription. Yeah, it yeah. is. Yeah, you can you can pay twelve dollars for one month just to watch this movie. Right. Yeah. Totally. Um, um, yeah. It's. Yeah. I I agree with what you said. It's one of the best. I think it's. I I kind of wish the movie was better received because I think it could be an epic. Mm. A very epic scene that people would talk about. Yeah. But I think because of the general reaction to the film, it may mm. not, it may get lost in the ether. Yeah. And it, I feel like it shows when I talk about like his evolution as a filmmaker and his growth as a filmmaker, I, sh- I feel like it shows an interesting mix of him. Not, I wouldn't say leaning into what he does best because that, that's kind of feels a little, uh, disparaging of it but it seems like he's 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 working at his strength in depicting this just super violent very tense um just really uh nerve-wracking sequence Mm -hmm. but it feels more refined than maybe what he was doing in like green room where that was more i mean granted they're totally very different films but green room seemed more like shocking like it's just yeah. the the violence and and the gore effects were just so like shocking and, and like that was the um uh catalyst for the tension that you're feeling when watching that movie whereas this is more we're seeing these spurts of violence and like we're get, seeing people get gunned down in very graphic ways but it's mm-hmm. not like the tension isn't arising from that depiction we're not we're not like feeling tense because someone just got a limb blown off or anything right right we're feeling tense because it's a firefight and it's it's just really um intense yeah yeah well i i think what sets it apart from his other uh scenes of this nature is that like you said with green room and and a little bit of blue room to the to a certain extent is that 
the, the violence and action is very abrupt mm-hmm. and it's very quick. Yeah. It's boom, boom, which that's I true. feel like that's the reason why it's so appealing is because it's so realistic. Cause mm-hmm. like most people don't encounter a lot of violence in their lives, right. but when they do, it's like, like think about a lot of people have been in a car wreck. Mm-hmm. That's a pretty violent situation. Yeah. It's, it's two seconds. It's a second right. and a half and it's done. Oh, and yeah. it's like, Oh my God. And your arms broken or something, mm-hmm. or you got a, giant gash or something like mm-hmm. that. That's, that's why I think it resonates so much in a film like green room is cause it's just boom. It's there. Yeah. And it's cause that's how it is. That's it's realistic and it's effective. Mm-hmm. Um, but with this scene, it's, I think because there's so many people involved and it's a firefight, yes. you have to sit with it for a few minutes mm-hmm. and it lasts a few minutes and it's very, it's not, it, it, it's, it's abrupt, but it lasts a while. Yeah. And I think that's what sets this one apart and makes it unique. And I think one of the more shocking violent scenes that we've gotten from Jeremy Saulnier so far. I agree. And like, so. this is the way it sustains itself. And like it, I, like you said, it's like three or four minutes, but the way that the action is depicted, it's not stylized or anything. Like it's not like a big, hero moment where you go in and you know you're like going after him i mean there's maybe not some of that but like there's like just shots of them like being like freaked out like the cops being like right. freaked out and like frozen in, in terror but like mm-hmm. the way like you don't it's interesting because like he like he you're absolutely right he does have a habit of not habit but like he has a part of his signature signature is the abruptness of it i feel like that sequence as long as it is and it was successful in sustaining itself um i think that the reason why it was so gripping is because there are these little moments like there are so many people involved in it and like the camera is just moving to different like areas of it so like you see like panicked cops you see cops trying to do like one thing another one like getting in a car and and trying to do another thing and it's like it's these abrupt violence that kind of it's a cacophony of violence and different segments of it that's all pieced together through this camera that we're seeing it through that's just very elegant and uh mm-hmm. tells tells a very gripping story totally um just really and and also just super badass <laughs> yeah absolutely yeah. and i think it it is it's funny because the scene is abrupt and it's not because there's a mm-hmm. there's a huge build up to it, like you yes. said, the, the tension ratchets up, like you oh, said. Oh yeah, um, which is something sort of new, maybe. I know. I guess you get, there's there's some moments like that in Green Room, but uh, yeah. But I think just the way that it's it's a nice, it's a true slow build. Mm. It's uh, man, I just it was just fucking perfect. It I was, mean, <laughs> it was one of those things where I had to. Like when the action started, admittedly, I was kind of tired when I watched it too. Yeah. But like when the action started, like we have, like you said, this build up toward it, like this whole preamble of James Badgedale talking to another character. Mm-hmm. And that build up of the tension and everything, like I, and uh, the screenwriting in that and, and the performances in that scene were really well done because like I'm sitting there watching these two men talk and they're, from they're at opposing viewpoints, opposing like uh factions, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. But opposing ideals. And the casualness that they're talking like I had to like I had to rewind it to catch what 
the guy said to him kind of at the end because I was like, it's just it was such a matter of fact thing. Like it's a threat. Yeah. And I'm just like that is so cold and just really like it was kind of chilling. And then everything comes to a head and it was like like what am i seeing right now yeah um just really intense and i I really appreciate the movie for that totally totally um yeah what did you think of jeffrey wright and the whole hunt for the for the kid yeah um man that was uh, it was interesting to see jeffrey wright in this because i feel like the character of russell core is like very run down and like Mm -hmm. um he's he's physically sick i think throughout the film and uh just emotionally distant and just not a very personable character Mm -hmm. and it's just that's just different for jeffrey wright i think um because i i don't know i feel like i think about his role in like um westworld Mm -hmm. you know he's he's so animated and Mm -hmm. and just a very i don't know uh Di- very dialogue heavy character and, yeah. and like that's not this character at all right um he's kind of stoic stoic yeah that's and a good it's a good word conflicted, i guess right um trying to figure out what the hell's going on yeah right and and so he's a good conduit for that but uh i'm right there just, with you buddy yeah <laughs> <laughs> it was just different uh just just a very different role for him um but i think he did a great job i think i think the standout to me though uh as far as performances go was uh julian black antelope uh he played the character of Chion, oh, yeah. um who he he was the pivotal character in the scene we were just describing right. um but I th- I think I think obviously in that scene he's pulling a trigger the whole time so that's not that's not the right. scene I'm talking about where he really blew me away he has these extremely intimate dialogue scenes with mm-hmm. Alexander Skarsgård um, and uh, most notably the, the the building up of the tension to that to that gunfight yeah where he's talking to James Badge Dale I thought that was just remarkable dialogue work same here um and and performance wise both he and james badge dale working off each other mm-hmm. was super impressive i was yeah. i was just really impressed with the way they their body language was really good um and just the way they delivered their lines and there was like i mean i feel like you just understood the dynamic right away and yeah and it's like it starts with this tension a little bit and then as they're talking, the tension is growing, and and it's just the way that they're conveying that and imparting that tension on us as the audience is just really spectacular. Yeah. So. Um. But it's funny because the scene, I don't know if I'm thinking of the uh, any scene in particular, but like the scenes with him and Alexander Skarsgård, where it's kind of like my memory of it, at least, and correct me if I'm wrong, but like it feels like. Uh, the dialogue that kind of is supposed to expand some of the some of the story and some of the kind of give us a, a hint of like stuff that's going on or or like what the motivations are and everything that stuff was kind of lost on me yeah yeah i was just kind of it kind of got kind of bogged bogged the uh story down for me that i was i just couldn't really connect to and i think that was ultimately what made me not be too thrilled about the movie as a whole is that I just wasn't, wasn't on the same wavelength as the, the story being told. Yeah. And I, I totally get that. It was, yeah. it, that was, an, that was a shortcoming of the movie. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's, there's another scene I'll talk about in spoilers between Jeffrey Wright and James Badge Dale 
that I think is like, I think it's the encompassing theme of the movie that really drove it home for me. Okay. Um, and so I appreciated that scene a lot, but then like, uh, Riley Keough, I think that's how you say her name. Yeah. Um, I, I wanted to see more of her. She's not in the movie a lot. She's not. Spoiler, yeah. spoiler alert. Uh, she's not. She's not in the movie a whole lot. But um, I think in when I was first, she she's in the first act. Mm-hmm. That's her most prominent uh, presence in the film. Um, I I wasn't concentrating close enough on the movie, and and that first act is pretty slow. Mm-hmm. And so I I really need to watch this a second time to like take in more of what she said, the specifics in that in that first act. Um, but what she did, I enjoyed. I think that's a hard, a hard role to play in general. Um, there's, we've talked before on the podcast about how there aren't a lot of great roles for women. Mm-hmm. It's a problem in Hollywood. Uh, and, and this was, I don't know if I would say this is a good role for a woman. Right. I, think, I think it is, but, uh, that's just my perspective, but it's definitely a very like meaty, hardcore, you're not just playing somebody's mom or love interest in this movie. Right. right. I mean, she does happen to be the, uh, the wife of a character, but she's not just a mom or a wife in this movie. She's very, she's much more than that. And I think that's an important thing to take note of. You know, I, th- I feel like the women in Jeremy Saulnier's films are not just, they're not just pretty love interest girls, you know, right. they're they're They have a stake in what's going on and they're, sure pivotal to the to the action sometimes and i i respect that and i i kind of wanted to see a little bit more of it in this movie i don't know if i'd call it a shortcoming or a failure but uh but yeah so as far as the performances um and i, I like alexander skarsgård he's really growing on me i thought um mm-hmm. you know seeing him in true blood and everything that show was so freaking over the top and right. i just absolutely despised that show by the time i quit watching it mm-hmm. um and i feel like that drag down my opinion of him as an actor. Um, but seeing him in a uh, pretty little lies, is that what that was called? Yeah. Uh, he was phenomenal in that and he won a golden globe Emmy. He won something he won an award for it. And I was like, absolutely. I would have voted for him. He was phenomenal in that show. So I think, I think he's really coming into his own as an actor. Um, and I think he did, he did really good in this as well. Um, not my favorite role of his, but uh, yeah, he was he was great. I th- Big so. Little Lies. Big Little Lies. Yeah. Thank you. Okay, yeah, I couldn't remember what it's called. Yeah. Um. It's, so yeah, kind of confusing because it's similar to like Pretty Little Liars, though. right? But anyway, right. Yeah. there you go. Yeah, I I liked Alexander Skarsgård a lot. He was very um, intense. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. There's like his introductory scene is just. Uh, <sighs> It's really like intense um, mm-hmm. and violent and confusing um, <laughs> to an extent, but it also sets the stage for his act his actions, I guess. Yeah. Later in the movie, um, but it also kind of feels kind of disconnected from from everything else in the movie for me. So it kind of, mm. I'm kind of a mixed bag there, but gotcha. Um, but yeah, well, uh, should we go into spoilers? We should go into spoilers. Okay. I was just about to say that. <laughs> yes. So, all right, we are going to go into spoilers for hold the dark. Um, it is available on Netflix. Um, if you want to skip the spoilers, check the show notes, uh, which can be found at obsessiveviewer.com slash OV two six one. Um, also in the 
you know, show notes of the app you're using, um, and skip over to Potpourri. So I'm going to play a bit from the trailer, and then we are going to go into spoilers for Hold the Dark. Dear Mr. Core, three days ago my son Bailey was taken by wolves. No one in the village will hunt them. My husband will come home from the war soon. I must have something to show him. So you come to kill it? To kill the one that took him? I came to help if I can. To explain this if I can. Okay, so... Tiny, what... uh, Expand on what you were saying about a pivotal scene... Um, that kind of ta- encompasses the entire movie. Yes, so it's it's the scene where after the big gunfight, um, Russell Core, Jeffrey Wright's character, is having dinner with James Badgedale and his wife mm-hmm. uh, at his house, and it's like after dinner they're like doing the dishes and they're talking and basically they say that they come to the conclusion that like. They don't understand what's going on, mm-hmm. but it's because they're but but they don't make they don't make a moral judgment on it. That's what's interesting about it is they say like I think they say like they I wish I had I looked through the IMDb quotes uh, for mm-hmm. the movie and it's not in there. I wish it would I wish it was. <laughs> I don't remember exactly what they said, um, but they said like Jeffrey Wright says something to the extent of I don't understand why she did what she did. Um, Medora, I think is her name. Yeah. Medora Sloan. I don't understand why Medora did what she did, but it's because of my perspective or something like that. Mm-hmm. And, and I think it, it really taps into the, it taps into the main theme of this film, which is like, it's, it's a very, to boil it down, it's a very clear cut man versus nature mm-hmm. story. And obviously there's man versus man conflict as well and you know it's a giant gunfight sure um but i think ultimately the premise or the theme that drives the plot is the fact that when you stick people into this extreme nature mm-hmm. it has such an effect on them that it pers- it, uh, it kind of personifies itself in the family in a family unit like this because what what happens in the film i'm glad we're in spoilers now because i can just get it out right um essentially the sloan family is like a pack of wolves and the mother in order to survive kills her young which happens in nature they you know demonstrate they yeah. they show it when uh, right. uh jeffrey wright goes hunting looking for the wolf pack and they're literally eating one of their young mm-hmm. and uh it plays into the title hold the dark because during the during the solstice there's only a few hours of daylight every day and it really has a huge effect on the nature up there because things die and they have to go into hibernation and so food sources get really scarce for the wolves so they sometimes have to result to eating their young just to survive um my problem with that is that i don't understand why she had to kill her young to survive that's my hang-up right yeah i don't understand why she had to kill her son Mm mm-hmm it doesn't make any sense to me. I I don't get it. I still don't understand her motivation for that. Right. But I understand the nature of it. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I understood that's what he was going for, but I think that to me that is the biggest shortcoming of the film is I don't understand why she killed her her son. Well, as we've already established in this recording, <clears throat> kids are dumb. Yeah, they are. So, kids be dumb. Yeah. Um but no, yeah. I um you mentioned that essentially the Sloans are a wolf pack. Mm-hmm. Um and it's uh, I like that, yeah. but I also I don't know. This isn't good podcast. I don't care. Okay. <laughs> it's just, it's, it's really, I, I'll need to see the movie again with a fresh perspective. Um, one thing in like that, that actually sheds a lot of light on what I'm about to bring up. Did you get any inclination or did you notice or know that the Sloanes, Relicio, and uh, Alexander Skarsgård are siblings. Oh, they are. Yeah, like they're siblings that you know banged it out, and like they. I did not realize that. Yeah, and that's. I I was trying to find like where I read about that because like there's there's a lot of stuff on. Um, Is that in the movie? Did you pick that up in the movie? That to an extent. And, really. Like, I completely missed that. Yep, and because it's not there, like it's uh, really, yeah. Because like I was, I was so kind of annoyed by the movie because like because uh, the ending, I was like, what, like what are they trying to say? Like, what is the end of this movie? Like, what is yeah. this about? And um, I think I found it. Um, okay, so I'm just gonna read from this uh, article from Thrillist. Um, Let's see. Film is based on a novel by William Giraldi, Giraldi, uh, which goes a little more, it gets a little more explicit as the plot unravels and the bodies pile up. Though the connection between Medora and Vernon, two Nordic looking people who stand out amid the largely indigenous population of Kilut, uh, isn't defined on screen, it is in the text. They're twins, which obviously makes the fact that they live as husband and wife a bit strange to say the least. And while Solnier's film doesn't really assign a motive to Medora's in- infanticide, uh, Giraldi's work describes her emotions surrounding the birth of Bailey. In one portion, it reads, quote, The first day she was alone with her child, she fought an urge to toss him into the fire. She was convinced that his birth meant the death of her. And, like, hmm. and, and the, the kind of twin thing is hinted at just very subtly. Um, when uh, Jeffrey Wright asks her a question when they're walking somewhere, um, I, he asks he asks her a question about Alexander Skarsgård, and then she says, "I've known him my entire life, or we've known oh. each other our entire lives." <laughs> and like that's too way too subtle. No, yeah, yeah, and uh, and it's just it's. I feel like that. It feels like the movie was just actively, maybe not actively, but like just was way too. Um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, um, vague about certain things, like like not not explaining why she m- killed the kid. Yeah. Um, not really going into detail about the the relationship and who they are. Like those are like characterizations that. I think would be more interesting and integral to the movie mm-hmm. 
um, in the overall experience, but we don't get that. So, like, it just it really kind of bugged me that I had to read like an explanation. Yeah. Um, online, and it just I I don't know it 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 bugged me. Like, does that? How do you feel about that? Like, does that change your perspective at all? Or not really, but knowing it frustrates me a little bit more because mm-hmm. why? You, like I said, you could have, like I said about some of the other stuff, you could have easily included that right into the plot or like fucking just told us that i mean just it could have yeah. been in the movie it's not in there like no that's so weird um it could have been in there without taking away from the movie i think it would have actually added to the movie and made it better absolutely if that was in there that's really odd yeah i mean that, that i don't know maybe that does have a bit of a negative effect on my opinion of it mm. but uh dang that's just, it, that's just, that's just kind of a shame yeah and i felt like i felt like the entire movie was setting up some kind of ritualistic kind of sacrifice or ritualistic something Mm -hmm. because they put the body like in a box and then like the last scene the last shot of the movie is them getting the body and then walking into the wilderness and i'm like like that's why like you saying that like they're like a wolf pack or whatever kind of kind of connects a little bit to me Mm -hmm. but i'm like i don't like i'm sitting there thinking like is this like, are they going to, like, a pet cemetery to reanimate <laughs> the kit? Like, I don't know what the fuck is going on. Yeah. Um, and, like, I get it. Like, twins have this connection and, like, right. they can, you know, twins have this weird connection. But, like, I'm not their twin. I can't tell. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, that bothered me a little less than it, than it did you, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, just because I think there there was this whole subtext of this kind of... Um, uh, native spirituality mm-hmm. that they're all akin to that we're not right, but it's all it's all kind of you know like oh the the wolf spirit embodies this family or something like that. I'm not trying yeah. to I'm not trying to you know shit on that culture. Sure. I'm I'm just saying I you know that's kind of a general uh, a general thing I guess or uh, I'm I'm really not articulating it well. Mm. But um, I think I think that's something that you can kind of pick up on in the film is that yeah. there's this there's this whole culture there and spiritual influence from the native people who are from there um, that I don't necessarily need the details on. Right. But I know that that's what's driving this. Yeah. But I don't need to know. Okay, because they're doing this, it means that it's going to be this, and it's the spirits of the sky are going to, you know, like, I don't need to know all that. Right. So that didn't bother me. Um, and even the final scene, I think I, I was satisfied with them yeah. carrying the body into the woods. Cause I was like, I don't necessarily need to know what they're going to do, but, mm-hmm. um, but again, the biggest thing is that I don't know why she had to kill her kid. Um, yeah, she wasn't starving. Right. The kid wasn't threatening her. I, I don't understand. I mean, as far as we know anyways. Um, so yeah, that, that that's the biggest shortcoming and i i wish that would have been in the film mm-hmm. um another thing that was really interesting was um i don't know if you noticed this but uh a lot of the wounding in the film uh happened in the neck yeah um so uh alexander skarsgård got shot in the neck right. that's why he gets to come home james badgedale was killed by an arrow through the neck uh, that but- was Okay, yeah, 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 that was just really well done. <laughs> it was like that was so cool, and like it sucked. Like I'm sad for the mm-hmm. character, but 
man that was that was that was cool yeah and i thought he was gonna make it i didn't me too i mean i mean it was kind of well i didn't necessarily they think telegraphed he was, it a little they did bit. telegraph yeah. it yeah that he was probably gonna die but i thought he might survive despite yeah that. um but anyways the whole i think the whole uh wounding of the neck thing really played into uh the, the wolf aspect mm. of it because when dogs fight that's what they do they go for the neck oh yeah um, i thought that was just kind of a fun little mm-hmm. feature of the of the movie yeah. um and i think um i also think it's it's interesting how how much Russell Core kind of is kind of like the personification of like I feel like personification plays a big role in in the film because you know James Badgedale is like representative of the laws of man mm. stuff like that and then uh, you know the Sloan family is very you know the the natural order of things yeah. and uh, Russell Core is very much the representative of just humanity in general mm. and I think you know as throughout the film he feels this urge to reach out to his daughter. Yeah. and connect with her and then at the end he finally does and i feel like he was so out of place and so exposed mm. in this extreme natural setting that at the very end he had to you know it was kind of a happy ending that he was finally able to reconnect to his source of humanity through his daughter yeah um i don't know if other people tapped or you know caught into those themes or if that was just something i I picked I up on, didn't, but I feel okay. like revisiting the movie with that in mind will heighten the experience for me. Okay. Um, as frustrating as the movie could be, as far as kind of not explaining some things or not connecting mm-hmm. certain things with me. Right. Um, and I know, like, yeah. Yeah, in some Native American cultures, it's very they're very uh, resistant to man-made laws they're very Mm -hmm. much you know uh believers in natural law and like you die when you die if you catch a disease the disease kills you and Mm -hmm. it's just like or you know you're not gonna tell me that you know if if this this woman kills her son we're gonna deal with it ourselves right um and i think i just i i i still just love the dynamic of the extreme setting um, like in Alaska, like we think of, you know, people forget how big Alaska is. Like yeah. a county is like the size of a lot of states. Right. And so your county police department, like the Emory police, you know, they talk about it in the movie, Kilut, the village, quote unquote, which is basically mm. 20 people in three houses. Right. Right. That's an hour away from Emory. And it's like, that's not an effective way to police right. or to, you know, to, to protect a community. Sure. Um, and that, I think that sentiment really, uh, really pervades native American culture and the whole mm-hmm. conflict with, you know, the modernization, the forced modernization of, uh, native American cultures. And, and that's, I appreciated seeing that, and I think that's one of those things that maybe an audience, someone watching the movie may not know yeah. that they could have laid out in the movie a little more. Um, I appreciated the hell out of it, and I think it was uh, handled well. But uh, but yeah, I, I can understand why someone could see the movie and be like, hey, why was this, why was this, uh, what's his, gosh, I can't remember his name, uh, Cheon. Why was this Cheon guy so aggressive towards the cops? Like, right. I don't, like, you know, and it's because of that. It's because they want to, you know, they want to 
live by their own rules and their own culture and they don't trust the the laws of the white man and like right i understand that you know i I can understand why some people feel that way sure um yeah i remember uh there was this guy used to work with this guy we used to work with Mm -hmm. um so he uh this guy we used to work with he was a really good wrestler and like his wrestling team like i think they traveled to alaska and actually like wrestled um a bunch of high school when he was in high school wrestled like a bunch of high school guys from alaska because in Alaska, you there's like no competition because there's like thirty thousand people in the whole state, oh. and like this, you could have a really good wrestling team in this town, but the other only other good wrestling team is eight hours away, so there's no way they could. It's just like impossible for them to get together and wrestle. Yeah. So there's like there's like no competition, and so like sometimes yeah. sports teams like football, basketball, whatever will like travel from the lower 48 up to Alaska just so those kids could have an experience of what it's like to play sports against. I had no idea yeah. about that with our coworker. <laughs> like, I, I, yeah. He told me about it once. I was like, that's coworker. yeah, it was a, a, it was an interesting story. He told me they beat oh. the living shit out of them because oh, yeah. they have no competition. It's just like, they right. just wrestle each other and they don't, you know, it's, it's, uh, it was an interesting to hear him huh. talk about it, but that's just one of those things. It's like, I think life in Alaska is really fascinating. I think when people live in a place where people aren't really meant to survive, it's really fascinating to just right. the extremes that they have to go to just like when it's, when it's 30 below zero and there's three feet of snow on the ground mm-hmm. that dictates your entire day. Yeah. Like you can't, your whole day is about surviving that. Right. And that just, it amazes me that people live there and like, I find it really fascinating. Um, there's a couple of shows I want to say on like Discovery Channel, maybe National Geographic. Mm-hmm. I think one of them is called like Life Above Zero, okay. and it's about people who live above the uh, the Arctic Circle. Oh, interesting. Um, and it's it's fascinating as hell. Oh. Um, it's literally they just survive all day. They don't they don't oh. like get up and go to the work with their travel mug of coffee. Like sure. they they get up and try to collect firewood so they don't freeze to death at night. And Jesus. it's just like that's how they live, and they enjoy oh. living that way. It's just. I find it fa- I find it really fascinating. Yeah. And so when a, a really prominent filmmaker does a story like this, I'm just all over it. And um so yeah, I mean I just I really love the movie. Like, nice. Um Would yeah. you rather live in Alaska or Hawaii? Uh <laughs> I'd live in Anchorage. Okay. Cuz that's like like they say it in the movie, they don't consider Anch- a lot of people in Alaska right. don't consider Anchorage part of Alaska because right. it's so far south. It's so different. It's on the coast. Um, but I would I would consider going to Anchorage. Um, Interesting. Uh, one of our our patrons, uh, friend Matt Andreco, actually mm. has been to Anchorage. He oh, and his nice. wife did an Alaskan cruise. Oh, that sounds awesome. Yeah, so he has some cool Alaska stories as well. Nice. I think he said a gallon of milk is like eight dollars there. Oh, whoa. Because there's no dairy farms within 2,000 miles oh, of Alaska, sense. and it all has to be. I know this from working in the trucking industry. Very little, everything in Anchorage, pretty much everything in Anchorage, which is where most of Alaskans live, mm-hmm. uh, pretty much everything has to be imported right. because they don't make things there because it's hard to, you can't grow right. anything. Like they just don't make very much stuff there. Huh. Um, and it's so far away from the lower 48 that to drive trucks there is not efficient at all because oh. you can send a truck there with a bunch of shit, but there's nothing for it to bring back because right. they don't make anything there. So everything comes in on Jeez. boats. 
And so it's really slow and it's expensive. Yeah. And so you got to bring all your milk in on a boat and it's expensive because that's an expensive, slow way to do it. So he was just saying like, Matt was telling me how just about everything is so much more expensive Mm -hmm. because it all has, it's basically like buying everything as an import. Wow. So it's just a really fascinating place. And it sounds like it. Yeah. I would go with Hawaii. (laughs) Hawaii. Uh, Yeah. 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 I don't blame you at all. Two of the lost locations, <laughs> Jurassic Park. Oh, I just, you know. I just hate the heat. I can't stand it. Uh, yeah, so, yeah. I get enough. I'd go on vacation to Hawaii. That'd be oh, awesome. Yeah, yeah, that'd be cool. Learn about the volcanoes and stuff. Yeah, I'd do that. The smoke monsters and right, the smoke monsters, uh, the, the others, the the hatch, yeah, the capsule in the ground. Yeah. All right, so I think we've effectively Anyways. reviewed this movie. Yeah. Um, I gave it a four and a half on Letterboxd. Oh, wow. I believe. And I gave it, uh, eight and a half on IMDb. Nice. Yeah. I gave it three stars on Letterboxd and a, and a little heart. Cause, uh, nice. cause even with my issues with it, I still enjoyed it. And okay. do you think it'll be an honorable, honorable mention even, or just probably no, not? No, I won't be. make that. Okay. Yeah. That's cool. Um, I, I totally get it. Like if anyone, yeah. like the qualms you had, I have qualms with it too. Sure. Um, but there's just so many other things that I just, it's totally a personal thing. Like I think objectively the movie has some, some big issues yeah. that I think make it, make it difficult to enjoy for sure. most people. But for me, it just, it has a lot of stuff that I like. And so mm-hmm. I think that's why for me personally, it just really spoke to me and nice. yeah, that's why I liked it so much. Well, that's cool. Hopefully when I revisit it at some point, I'll uh, gain a better appreciation of it or I can look past the qualms I have with it. But okay, cool. Overall, I thought it was it was okay. Awesome. Yeah. Um, all right, so we just had a spoiler discussion about Hold the Dark, and we're going to go into Potpourri. But before we do that, I'm going to mention – I forgot to say this before. Um, I mentioned going to Patreon and becoming a Patreon supporter. Um, as we've been doing the last several weeks, we have recorded bonus content specifically for Patreon. So, uh, you know, if you get on board our Patreon subscription train um, – <laughs> You'll get access to an exclusive RSS feed with, um, any, basically my goal is anytime we release an episode of the podcast, it will also release a short exclusive snippet of a conversation or a s- exclusive recording, uh, for the Patreon, um, patrons. Um, uh, so yeah, so that's incentive to check it out. Um, yeah, and, and this one in particular, we talked a little bit about Black Klansman and, um, uh, this, the new, um, The Grinch that I just saw today. So, yep. go on Patreon and subscribe. Rate of $1 a month is minimum, and you'll get access to the RSS feed. Um, but Tiny. Yes, sir. Let's do some potpourri. Let's do it. Yeah. So for listeners of the podcast, first time listeners, Potpourri is a section of the podcast where we talk about whatever we want, anything we're watching or anything that we've seen or looking forward to, anything we want, as long as it smells good, it's the Potpourri section. So, Tiny, I have two things I want to bring up. Okay. And you have... Just one thing. One thing. Okay. Yeah. So I'll start us off and then you'll you'll go after me. Okay. Um, I want to talk really... Uh, I'll have to be somewhat brief because it might bleed into the year in review episode. Okay. Um, I watched the movie, the tale, um, 
It is... I don't think I'm familiar with that. Yes. So the tale, let me read the plot description. Um, I believe that it is an HBO movie, or it was bought by HBO. Um, the plot description is a woman, a, a woman filming a documentary on childhood rape victims starts to question the nature of her childhood relationship with her writing instructor and running coach. Oh. Um, it stars Laura Dern as, as, uh, well, I'll get to that in a second. Laura Dern, uh, Elizabeth Debicki, who was in Widows. Um, Ellen Burstyn is in it. Common is in it. Uh, Jason Ritter. Uh, it's a really strong cast, but the really interesting thing about it is that this movie is a true story. Oh, and it is written and written and directed by a documentary filmmaker named Jennifer Fox, who she basically, um, she made the movie as close to her true story as as she could. Wow. Um, and it is like it. It's very powerful because Laura Dern plays her. She plays Jennifer Fox, the documentarian. Okay. And the entire movie is her coming to grips or uncovering, um, I don't want to say blocked memories, but like uncovering the truth of her nature, uh, of the nature of her relationship with, with these much older people when she was very young. This okay. sexual abuse that she suffered. Um, it is one of the, uh, I'll, some snippets from my letterbox review. Um, it's one of the year's most powerful movies. Um, it's, it's just so gripping and fascinating to me and commendable that Jennifer Fox made this movie. Like she went through sexual abuse when she was 13 years old and the decision, like the decision to make this movie and, to not only make the movie, but use her own name and her own, like her story. It feels like it's such a cathartic and, um, emotionally, it, it puts her, it puts her in such an intensely, um, uh, intensely vulnerable situation as a filmmaker. And it resonates so much more. Like this movie does not, uh, it doesn't sugarcoat the sexual abuse. Like, okay. it's not like a film, like, it's not like a movie that just basically, like, hints at, like, oh, this is what happened and everything. It's like, there are, there are depictions of sexual abuse in the movie. Like, so much so that there had, like, there was, there was a, uh, a title card at the end of the movie that says, every, any, any scene involving sexual, encounters with with a child were, were filmed with a an adult body double okay. which duh yeah but also just the fact that that particular disclaimer had had to be put in the film like at the end of the film should really speak to how how graphic and uh, i i don't want to say graphic because it's it's not like a gratuitous kind of thing mm -hmm. it's like just how raw and and uncomfortable the depictions of sexual abuse are it's rape it sexual abuse right it's flat out rape right um and jason jason ritter 
and Elizabeth Debicki. They play basically uh, the movie is uh, Laura Dern kind of uncovering the truth of what of what happened to to her when she was thirteen. But it is interspersed with several like flashbacks to to her at thirteen, and like there are some very just incredible like uh, filmmaking techniques at work here, like. Um, uh, like there's, there's persp- like it plays with perspective a little bit. Like when she, uh, an example, something that really struck me about the movie was that we get like the kind of inciting thing of the movie is that Jennifer gets this call from her mother played by Ellen Burstyn, who I, I was so, I was weirdly like thrilled to see her in a movie because mm-hmm. I, I haven't seen her in a movie in a while, but, and she's, she's fantastic. She plays Jennifer's mother. She calls Jennifer and says, Hey, I found this. I found the story you wrote when you were in eighth grade. Please call me. I'm going to, I'm going to send it express mail to you. You need to call me. I'm very worried. Hmm. And like that kicks off this whole thing where Jennifer's like, well, you know, she, she's just freaking out. Cause I had an older boyfriend when I was a kid. Uh, a boyfriend that was older than me. And then like it shows like her, like it flashes back to there's like the one like pivotal thing. And I won't go into too much detail at all. Like this will be me wrapping up because I, I want to leave some stuff for people to watch uh, or to people to experience it. But like there's this amazing technique where she remembers like an encounter or remembers like the first like time that she met Elizabeth Debicki and, and Jason Ritter in the film or what have you. And the actress that plays her in the flashback is like 15, 16 years old. Like she's, she's like clearly a, a more grown young adult mm-hmm. than, than a 13 year old. And then when she, uh, Jennifer is looking through pictures and stuff, she's like, wait, this is me. And, and this is me when I was 13. And like, then it flashes back and shows like, the actual like age and how small. So like it's, it's a very interesting technique in which it shows like how mm. her perception changes of the, of the past because she thought okay. like, Oh, she's much older. She experienced like from her perspective and her kind of shielded like m- mental state of it that, yo, she was, you know, she was a young adult. She was a young woman experiencing like uh, that. And then like she, finds out like oh wait he was actually this age i was actually this age this is how small i was i was mm. a child like it's just in like the movie goes through so much stuff and then by the end like it's just so emotionally just powerful um just and and all of that in the fact that it's her story jennifer yeah. fox's true story her like putting her name in it as the central character, like it feels so raw, so emotional. And like, you can feel the catharsis that she's, she's going through as she's making this movie. And it's just something that I'm just so impressed by just the fact that she had, she had like the, uh, fortitude to, to put that out there to, to really like, we talk about people like, bleeding for their art and everything like this is such a raw depiction of of her life it's brave as hell it's incredibly brave yeah and it's just it's so it's so um amazing Uh, i I, like 
it it's probably going to be somewhere on my on my list. Okay, yeah. wow. I put it. I just put it on the list of movies nice. to watch because it it is on HBO. It so, is okay. Yeah. So if you have Man. HBO, you can watch it there. It sounds really powerful. Yeah. Just and they're so like man oh and it's it's really it's really incredible so that's the tale um it's on hbo and it'll probably be discussed here in a few weeks wow that's yeah. not that sounds incredible yep yeah wow. also side note and uh um apropos of nothing um i've been i've been playing red dead redemption 2 <laughs> and in that game if you um, try to like search the saddlebag of a of a of of a horse, or if you like punch a horse or something, <laughs> it will kick you violently. <laughs> and I wasn't expecting that in the game when I first did it. Yeah. Um, and I think that that kind of um triggered or uncovered like a deep sea or like developed a deep seated fear of horses now for me. <laughs> um because like like uh like Elizabeth Debicki in the tale plays uh Jennifer's riding instructor because uh, okay. she uh, horse riding. Okay. And like there's a scene like the scene that I talked about that switched the perspective and and switched the actress uh, like when Jennifer realizes the perspective shift. Um the scene involves her walking a horse into a stall and like because of fucking Red Dead Redemption 2, <laughs> I'm sitting there like tense as hell. Like get this like get this girl away from the horse. Oh my god. So that's that was stupid. But anyway. Well, that's funny. Uh yeah, that's my first potpourri. Um I she, really hope you see it. She was one of my favorite parts of uh Widows, Elizabeth Debicki. Me too. Me too. She was just she was really Did good you, in that. You should listen to Mine and Kirsten's review. Of Widows? Yeah. I will. Yeah. I will. Uh, so for my potpourri, um, I was going to talk about the second season of The Marvelif- Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Yes. And you raved about the first season. First season's phenomenal. Nice. Have you really finished good. the second season? Finished the second season. Nice. Yeah, we watched it just it. came out. Yeah, we watched it in the whole weekend. That's we watched it awesome. in one weekend, yeah, my wife and I. So uh, we, were, we, were, we actually watched... This is bad. We watched... Um, the first nine, it's ten episodes. We watched the first nine. We watched like six on Saturday, and then we watched like three on Sunday morning. And then we had to go run an errand and do some stuff. And we didn't realize that the finale was the only one we had left. Oh. And so like we came back home and like we turned on the like Sunday night we turned on the TV and went to the app and opened up Prime and went to the second season and we're scrolling. She's like, "Oh my, this is the last!" Ah, oh. <laughs> like it was totally just total millennial shock you nice. know we're like oh man we gotta wait a whole nother year um awesome. so yeah we flew through it in two days nice um how does it stack up against the first season and it's about it's about a woman in the 50s doing stand-up comedy yeah actually if you look at the description on imdb it just says a housewife in the 1950s decides to become a stand-up comic nice that's all you really need to know mm-hmm. um and it's it, it goes from there um the first season was was substantially better okay um but the show is just so good that i still it the the second season is still just absolutely terrific nice um i think the second season expanded on the characters a little bit more okay um i think the first season is so much like i would almost say culture shock Mm -hmm. because stand-up comedy wasn't really much of a thing in the 1950s yet um and it definitely wasn't a thing for women to do. Mm. Um, and so I think there's all this kind of, you know, a woman 
going out and getting a job and going getting into an entertainment job like that. Uh, it's totally a man's job. That's that's a whole culture shock thing. And then just the 1950s affluent Jewish family. Mm-hmm. Um, everyone on the all the main characters are Jewish, and it's right. that's they talk about that. It's it's very prominent, prominently featured in the show. Um, and just all that is there's just a lot of culture shock in the first season. They really bring you into it and throw you into it, and you immerse yourself in the, all the all those cultures and all those uh, ideas that were driving thought and culture in the 1950s that it's it's so fascinating to dive into in the second season you're you're already kind of there and so that that joy that you have in the first season of of being introduced to all this crazy stuff mm-hmm. is is gone a little bit okay and so i think the show really had to overcome that and so what they did is they just really dove into characters um which wasn't a bad thing it was it was really interesting uh they expanded tony shalhoub's character a lot which was a fantastic decision because he is just hilarious that's awesome um so fun i mean he's you know the guy won however many emmys playing monk for a decade um he did that for a reason because he's just a terrific actor um very idiosyncratic and very uh uh tense just uh, he's just a great actor and and his character is just so funny because he's such a picky guy and so for lack of a better term he's just so jewish um it's it's really funny um and then uh um uh what's his name gosh i forgot this is terrible um uh pollock gosh kevin pollock Pollock. thank you i couldn't think of his first name kevin pollock plays the mother uh, the Mm father-in-law of the main character i didn't Uh, know he was in it yeah he's he's also just hysterical in it so um it's yeah the second season was was really impressive as well but definitely a significant drop-off from the first season interesting um i feel like there was a lot of um, you know, she's still trying to develop to develop her career as a as a stand up comedian, and she's gaining a lot of traction in the second season, which is really interesting. Um, she's friends with uh, Lenny Bruce in the show, oh, okay. who's a, is a he was a real guy, a real stand up com- right. comedian in the the fifties and sixties in New York City. Um, and so it's it's interesting to see, you know, how her career takes off because of that, and how she's influenced by Lenny Bruce and. Um, and they expand more on that in the second season. So that's, that was really satisfying. Um, but I mean, more than anything, it's just, it is a, such a gorgeous show. I mean, the sets, the costumes, uh, Rachel, Rachel Brosnahan, the, uh, the, uh, lead, she's very into fashion. Her character is very into fashion. So she's wearing a different, bright, beautiful, loud outfit. Okay. In like every scene. I mean, not just every episode, every scene. It's really incredible. Uh, they joke about it, how she has, uh, it's, it's funny. You'll go into a room in their apartment and it's racks of clothes of hers. Like if the whole room is a closet, it's, it's pretty funny. So, um, yeah, the costumes and the sets, uh, the cars, um, just everything is just gorgeous. Um, she works in a department store as well. Um, B Altman's, which was a real department store. Oh, okay. Um, like I think it was like a family-owned store in New York City. Uh, mm-hmm. It's kind of legendary. Apparently, I'd never heard of it, but uh, she B. works Altman's? there. B. Period Altman's. Altman's. Yeah. Okay. So should I have said, um, should I have said Ben Altman's when I talked about the our new Patreon subscriber? Uh, so, anyways, um, no, no, that's <laughs> okay. you're hilarious. Um, but no, it's it's funny because it's it's a very uh, 
um, it's what you think of like Ellis Ayers or like okay. uh, JCPenney being or Macy's mm. back in the day, just super okay. customer based. And there's all these salespeople and mm. just floating around. It's it's a it's just a very romantic show in that regard. Sure. Um, so I, I love it for that. I think just nice. just the aesthetics alone, I think, are kind of worth watching the show. Okay. Um, it's it's just a beautiful show. It seems um, like the kind of show that would have good like production values. Totally. It's kind. Of, it reminds me of like Mad Men in that regard. Nice. Um, which is something that I think kept me coming back to Mad Men for seasons. Mm-hmm. I never finished that show, but yeah. Um, it it, just, it has that that same quality to right. it. Yeah. Spoiler yep, so. alert. Uh, we landed on the moon and what? Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, also uh, worth mentioning uh, Alex Borstein. You mentioned her about one of the season st- one. Yeah, one of the, like standouts. the standouts. She's hilarious. Nice. Just like a she's she's the kind of anti anti woman. Right. She's very uh, foul mouthed. She doesn't. She always wears pants. Mm-hmm. She's just not a 1950s woman. So she's very fish out of water. Mm-hmm. A lot of comedy opportunities in that. She's hysterical on the show. Nice. So yeah, just and uh, one of the things they highlighted in the second season, uh, real quickly. Um, you know, back in the 50s and 60s, like parenting wasn't. Like you know, it wasn't all like, oh, I'm going to read this new parenting book, and it wasn't right. like you know, this is my. Uh, when you have your kids, like you go to the hospital, squeeze it out, and you leave. It wasn't like right. going. You have your nursing specialist and your, mm-hmm. uh, you know, pediatric nutritionist and all. Like they didn't have that shit back then. It was right. like they're alive. Okay, fine. Go outside and play. Leave me the fuck alone. Like that's. <laughs> and it's it's funny because on the show, the main character has two, ch- three children now. Oh. I forgot because the character, the kids are not characters. Like they're just. You see them, but they hardly ever say anything. That is that like and, intentional? Yeah, or, and, yeah, okay. and they're like everyone will just leave the apartment, and then the the, the camera will just be sitting there on the door for like five, six, seven. Then they'll come back in. Who's going to watch the kids? Because they'll forget that there's kids <laughs> sitting in the apartment. That's it's awesome. whole, like that's how people parented back then. It was nice. like uh, just sit there and watch TV, or like just I don't know. It was uh, it, it's really funny. Like it's wow. whatever it comes up, how they they parent the kids. It's it's pretty funny. So nice. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. I'm gonna definitely have to watch that. I, Please do. Yeah, like I I feel like I've got a lot of irons in the fire for 2019 mm-hmm. um, in terms of movie watching and everything. But I want to try to just get back into the rhythm of like watching TV regularly. Yeah, like TV shows because this year has been concentrated on watching movies watching a bunch of movies and stuff and like mm-hmm. i feel like i'm i'm losing out on like because i've like sampled some shows like i watched the first episode of jack ryan and mm. I've, I've i watched the first couple or first episode and a half of the second season of westworld and i was just like i kind of dozed off during the second episode okay. um and it's just it's i don't know i need to i need to sit down and watch more tv Gotcha. Um, I'm, I've, my 2018 was the exact opposite. Oh yeah, mostly TV, not enough movies. Nice. Yeah. Well, if you get a list, we can swap. That's cool. Right. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah. So that's that's the marvelous Mrs. Maisel. It is on yes. Amazon Prime. It is. Yeah. And uh, anything else? Or should I wrap us up with our my last potpourri? Go ahead and wrap it up. Okay. So in our aforementioned uh, Patreon exclusive. Uh, clip or recording. Uh, I had asked Tiny a question. Tiny, you referenced Green Book and how you kind of wanted to watch. You wanted to see Green Book by yes. the end of the year. Um, 
I saw a green book. Okay. And it, it's funny because like I, I wrote out like a review on Letterboxd that was very, uh, very, uh, uh, I don't know what, what, I don't, I don't know. It was, it was not the same kind of review I usually write. Like it was more politically charged, maybe not politically charged, but more about like how problematic the movie is in terms of race and, and depicting the story and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, it got no likes okay. on Letterboxd. So I don't know. Maybe I'm off base. Like you be the judge of this here. Like I, time was like, like one time, uh, Fekus was on the podcast and I had talked to him about, um, uh, oh, um, remember the Titans. Mm-hmm. And like, I think you and I had a conversation about it off mic about it too. Okay. Um, just the kind of Disneyfication. Yeah. Of like the civil rights era. And that movie doesn't hold up as well re- as it, you would it, think. It really does. Remember doesn't. the Titans. Yeah. It really doesn't. Yeah. Um, and it is kind of like my, uh, perspective on it is that like, it seems like the type of movie that, I don't want to say sugarcoats the civil rights era or it, it sugarcoats the, um, uh, it, it depicts a sugarcoated version of racism of the era. Mm-hmm. And like, so you see, like, you see the, you know, the, uh, the students bonding over football and like they're overcoming this racism that's very PG 13 Disney fied kind of versions of it. Like the true like civil rights era was filled with just horrendous racism and like just violence. And, and I, I feel like it's just a disservice to, you know, depict that era in a way that lessens the horrendous nature of the actual like racism, like date, like, it seems like those types of movies, and I'll get to Green Book here in a moment, I promise. <laughs> it seems like it's conveying like, oh, you know, they had segregation back then. Oh, that's – look how crazy it was back then. But it's like it's not really showing like the way that an entire race of people were, you know, dehumanized and mm-hmm. and, and viewed as, as less than – less than human essentially mm-hmm. by the most extreme racists of the time. And who are many of which are still alive today. Yeah. I'm running the country. Um, but <laughs> the, <laughs> nice. <laughs> I was going to say a bunch of robots alive today and voting <laughs> yeah. for Donald Trump. Right. <laughs> but, but green book is a very problematic movie. It is the story of, let me pull it up here. Um, Green Book, according to IMDb, is a working-class Italian-American bouncer becomes the driver of an African-American classical pianist on the on a tour of venues through the through the 1960s American South. It's got Viggo Mortensen and Mahershala Ali. Also, Linda Cardellini is in it as well. Um, directed by Peter Farrelly um, of the Farrelly Brothers. Interesting. Of Dumb and Dumber. <laughs> There's something about Mary. Yeah. Um, yeah, and, uh, written by, uh, this is one of the problems that I have with it. it well, I'll, this is going to be tricky. Uh, written by Nick Vallelonga, 
uh, Brian Hayes Curry, and Peter Farrelly. Um, Nick v- Vallelonga is the son of Viggo Mortensen's character. This is a true story. Oh, okay. Um, and the other two writers, of course, Peter Farrelly and um, the other guy, are both white men. And, like, it feels... Like, the movie is supposed to be this kind of endearing or um, powerful, like... De- Okay, the movie is a hokey kind of feel-good depiction of uh, friendship overcoming racism in the Deep South in 1962. Okay. And when I I go into detail about this, it's not to say that it's not an important subject. It is a very important subject, and the story of Tony Lip is is Viggo Mortensen's character's name, and Don Shirley is Mahershala Ali's character's name. Mm -hmm. It's an interesting enough one, but the movie is this PG-13 schmaltzy, feel-good movie that feels so disingenuous. Um, It is, first of all, it's the movie is Viggo Mortensen's movie. It's, It's about Tony Lip. Mm-hmm. And he's depicted as a racist. Like the, the one of the opening scenes is that he's in his house and they have uh, contractors in working on the sink or something. Um, and they're they're two black men. And then uh, Viggo Mortensen's wife gives them a glass of milk or something, and they drink out of the glass. And then you see Viggo Mortensen throw the glass away. Um, okay. And so uh, the whole movie is like his kind of. Uh, redemption i guess or his him coming around to you know not being a a racist (laughs) which is a noble you know everything but it's a noble like idea but it just feels it it feels so watered down i i (sighs) hang on let me actually (laughs) okay okay here perfect example there's a scene where uh, Mahershala Ali's character is um, at a bar, and he is um, there's there there are three men, three white men who are threatening physical violence on him, and Viggo Mortensen comes in and saves the day. The guys, the white guys at the bar, are the most cartoonish, <laughs> like greaser, bad guy things, mugging for the camera, like. Like, look, like, they they can't act for shit. Mm-hmm. And it's, like, it's so just forced and awkward. And the fact that this movie is written by, co-written by, like, the son of, of Viggo Mortensen's character, it just seems like, let me let me read an excerpt from my Letterboxd review, because this kind of sums up uh, my thoughts on it. Um, it doesn't help that, it doesn't help matters that the movie's credited writers are all white men and its director is a white comedy writer comedy director i feel like i feel like easy and safe feel-good movies like green book are exactly why movies like get out black klansman blind spotting and sorry to bother you need to exist because they're speaking in a much bigger way to the effects of racism in the institutions in our society that facilitate it still today uh, what movies like green book accomplish is giving the audience audiences a chance to say Wow, times were really different back then, and then pat themselves on the back for being so progressive. Right, and like that kind of sums up how I feel about this 
type of movie. And what kind of troubles me is like this movie was nominated for a couple Golden Globes. It got the Audience Award at TIFF. And I'm just like, this is this is mediocre filmmaking at best. Wow. And it's just it feels like it's just this I I mean, I don't know. Like in maybe I'm speaking out of out of turn cuz I'm I'm a 32 white man in Indianapolis, but it kind of just feels like it feels like the kind of feel good hokey movie about uh about you know, a a very dark chapter in our history that's made for white people to feel good about themselves. Yeah. Like it just, and it just, it bugs me to no end, especially Mm. when we're in an era where we have several uh, films by minority filmmakers that are speaking so truthfully to the experience of being a minority in this country. It just, it, it feels just like it's not, it it really really rubbed me the wrong way. Okay. So yeah. So I think I know what you mean. Yeah. Um. Kind of like the. It may be, your description made me think of like the help, the movie the help. Yeah. Which I didn't hate that movie. I kind of like that movie to an extent, but I, like, I never saw it. Okay. It's it's yeah. kind of a white woman's feel good story. Right. From yeah. It reminds me, um, <laughs> uh, a little bit of the Blind Side also. Okay. Yeah. Um, white savior movies. Right. That's that's exactly yeah. what it is. Okay. Um, and it's funny because in the movie Instant Family, uh, with Mark Wahlberg and uh, and Rose Byrne, um, they they go to a foster like class, foster family class. Um, there's one recurring character in throughout the movie who. Her, she wants to adopt a young black, athletically um, gifted, gifted uh, kid, and like they they call attention to it. Like Mark Wahlberg's like, they, "That's that's a blind side. You're trying to blindside a kid." <laughs> like, it, and it's like the movie was just I was lukewarm on it, but like that okay. bit was hilarious. That's funny. Uh, but yeah. So anyway, Green Book. I. Uh, when the Oscar nominations come out and if it gets nominated, I'm going gonna go on a soapbox and then Gotcha. Ben when he when he's on to talk about them, he's gonna regret giving us any money. Very much, yes. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, um That's kind of a shame. I thought yeah, it looked kinda good. Me too. I mean the cast The cast, yeah. Vigo Mortensen's great. Mahershala Ali is one of my favorite actors. He's yeah. Um crushing it right now. Like <laughs> Like if you were to tell me like a year or two ago that I'd be super excited for True Detective season three, yeah, I would have been like, well, I, no, I'm. Did you see season two? <laughs> right, I mean, come on. <laughs> but Mahershala Ali's in it, and like I just, I, he's a he's a very uh, talented actor. Totally. So yeah, yep. So I think that'll do it. Right? That'll do it. Put a bow yeah. on her. All righty. Well, uh, thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, once again, go to patreon.com slash obsessive viewer and uh, you can get access to our special RSS feed that has us talking just kind of in a casual way. And um, yeah. Uh, anything else we need to talk about? I don't think so. All right. Well, thank you guys so much for listening. Next time on the podcast i'm gonna try to do a spider-man into the spider-verse review with mike we'll see if that uh, pans out um if not then roma we'll have to review roma cool yep and uh yeah so anyway thank you guys so much for listening and we'll see you next time thanks
And now, here's a short clip from our Patreon-exclusive RSS feed. To hear the full clip and more exclusive Patreon content, go to patreon.com slash obsessiveviewer and become a patron at the minimum rate of $1 per month. Thank you and enjoy. I snore very loudly. <laughs> um, and it's like immediate. Like, yeah. Tiny, you and I work together. We work nights. You know this all too well. I'm about familiar. Me. Yes. So, um, I was sitting there and like, I was... I was like, if I didn't, if I didn't have like a snoring problem, I would really embrace the nap. <laughs> Other, I would take the nap over this movie. Oh man! Um, the Obsessive Viewer podcast is edited and produced by Matt Hurt and presented by ObsessiveViewer.com. For a full archive of our episodes, go to ObsessiveViewer.com/slash/ov/archive. You can also like our Facebook page and join the OV Facebook group at facebook.com slash the obsessive viewer and follow us on Twitter at obsessive viewer and at obsessive tiny and follow our recurring co-hosts at I am Mike White. That's me at R.A. Fekis and at burger underscore lurker. If you enjoy the show, please take a couple minutes to leave us a rating and a quick review on Apple Podcasts. This is the easiest way to support what we do and all it costs is a little bit of your time. If you'd like to donate to the podcast, you can make a PayPal donation at obsessiveviewer.com slash donate or support us on Patreon for recurring donations and access to commentary tracks and B-roll audio recorded exclusively for patrons at patreon.com slash obsessiveviewer. Every donation goes toward paying the fees to keep the podcast running and is greatly appreciated. For official Obsessive Viewer merch, including shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more, visit our Tee Public store. You can find a link to the store in the show notes of this episode and at obsessiveviewer.com slash donate. Or you can simply search for Obsessive Viewer at teepublic.com, T-E-E, public.com. For information about our annual live event showcasing short horror films from local filmmakers, check out shocktoberinirvington.com. And for an archive of all our events, as well as news about potential future events, head over to obsessiveviewer.com slash live. For more podcast content, you can find Anthology, Matt's solo podcast covering The Twilight Zone, and other classic and contemporary science fiction anthology TV shows at anthologypod.com and on Twitter at OVAnthologyPod. You can also find Tower Junkies, a podcast where Matt and Tiny share their love of all things Stephen King and his magnum opus, The Dark Tower series, at TowerJunkiesPod.com and at TowerJunkiesPod on Twitter. And finally, check out The Secular Perspective, Tiny's side project podcast, which tackles current events and life's big questions from the perspective of secular hosts Chad and Amanda at TheSecularPerspective.com. The theme music for The Obsessive Viewer comes courtesy of the band Loudlike from their EP, Mistakes We Must Make. Additional bumper music is provided courtesy of As Good As It Gets, which can be found at facebook.com slash asgoodasitgetsband. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. Kitty! Kitty!